Welcome to Element, the student ministry of Third City Christian Church. To find out more, go to thirdcitychristian.org backslash students. It's interesting. We live in a world where um, we're quick to not say truth on anything. We're not... We're not, we don't want to say truth or false. We don't want to say that's not true to anybody because everybody's uh, entitled to their own truth in our culture. And we don't want to um, battle that, right? We, we don't want to say something's true or false or like some, some objective like shell that we would put on something. We don't want to do that. We also have um, the tendency to not want to uh, talk about good or evil. Or, or good or bad or what's right or wrong. We don't like those objective truths because everybody can just decide what's good or bad for them and you don't want to bother anybody. And so they kind of define what they think is good and bad and then that's up to them. So interesting. We live in a culture where nobody wants to talk about good or evil. Nobody wants to talk about right or wrong. Nobody wants to talk about truth or false. We've completely abandoned those things. But at the same time, if you look at what movies were the top grossing movies of the last decade, it is all specifically movies. Nine out of ten of them are specifically about the forces of evil trying to undo the forces of good. And the forces of good are battling to save their friends, to save humanity, sacrificing themselves in the name of love. Think of all the Marvel movies. Think of all the Star Wars movies, specifically about good and evil. These are the top grossing movies in our culture. So it's so interesting that we don't, in our reality, want to talk about good or bad, but then we flock to the fiction that talks about good or bad. So tonight I want to talk about the tension between good and evil. I want to talk about the stains that are brought into our lives through the decisions we make. That lies, if you get anything out of tonight, it's this. Lies always destroy. Lies always destroy. But God always redeems when we unite our lives with him. Lies always destroy, but God always redeems when we unite our lives with him. So we've been talking through the book of Genesis. We've been talking about the beginning. And we've been seeing that ever since the beginning, it's all pointing to Jesus. And tonight's no different. But I want to paint a picture for you, and I want to apply it to our lives today. And you'll see a lot of this. So we're going to start in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. And this is just kind of walking through and talking through what's happening in the garden at this point. So we're going to do this like we did the other week where I'll read the words in white, you read the words in blue, and I'll kind of guide you so that way it doesn't get too mushy and mashy and all that stuff. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Okay, so that's the one parameter. God has given freedom. God has given this awesome opportunity, and he says, hey, there's one thing. In order for, for me to give you free will, I've got to give you the decision between good and evil, doing right and wrong. And then that way you can truly love me. That way you can actually choose me in a relationship. And then things start to go south in chapter 3. Now the serpent, we'll talk about who that is and kind of what that stands for, but for right now, think that's evil, okay? That's Thanos. That's like the, the force of evil, okay? The, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? 
The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Now you can hear a little drama because she's adding words into God's mouth that he didn't say. He didn't say don't touch it. He said if you choose to eat from this tree, you will certainly die. Plain and clear, black and white, if you choose to eat from this tree, you will die. Death will come your way. But uh, Eva's getting a little dramatic. You can kind of hear the annoying, like she's like, oh, God's being God again, telling me not to do something. He said we can't even touch the thing. You know, like she's kind of adding some drama. So there's already some weakness in here. There's already some, some semblance of like a lie could slip in. And, and the serpent's taking advantage of this. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. Now, interesting fact here. I was reading in the commentaries, and they went back to the original Hebrew, and literally the way this sentence uh, would, would stack up the you will certainly not die would say, there is no immediate threat of death. That was the lie. He wasn't saying, oh, you certainly won't die. He was saying, yeah, you're not going to die today. Yeah, maybe he said you're certainly going to die. It's a half-truth. You see, it's a half-truth. And he says, well, you're not going to die right now. You could do this, and I don't know. But it's not something you should worry about right now in this part of your life. Serpent said to the woman, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, there's some pieces of this story where you think you're reading it, and you're saying, Okay, God didn't want Adam and Eve to know good and evil because he's afraid of the power they would have. Well, that's not true. God's all-powerful over everything, so logically that doesn't work with the rest of the storyline of the Bible. There's some camps that you might think, oh, well, God was jealous of them. No, God's completely content with who he is. He's not jealous of anybody. So the only real logical explanation for this, this moment of saying, hey, if you eat of this, i got to kick you out, is timing. And let me explain that. He, he was saying there is a better time for you to know good and evil, and now is not the time. He's saying to Adam and Eve, enjoy your innocence. It's a gift that I'm giving you. Now is not your time to know good and evil. That's for some time later down the road. It's not now. I want you to enjoy your innocence and your relationship with me. But he had to give them this free choice to do this, right? So when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was also with her and he ate it. Okay, so I got to talk about something here. I got to talk about warnings that you ignore in your life and that I ignore. You've gotten many warnings in life, whether it's from your mother, your, your father, your guardian, um, a good friend, your teacher. Maybe here at Element, we've said something from stage. Um, maybe you've talked to your coach about something and they've given you a warning. Like a warning that you would hear from someone who follows Jesus is uh, sex outside of marriage is going to bring death. Don't, don't wander into that. It will bring death to you later down the road. Don't do it. Or maybe a warning you got was don't gossip. That stuff always comes back to bite you. You think you're the queen of gossip, and then all of a sudden someone gossips about you and tears your life apart. Just don't enter into that. Or maybe a warning you've got is, don't look at porn. It is going to kill your heart, and it's going to warp your brain to objectify women and treat them poorly in life. It's going to warp your brain. Or maybe a, a warning you've got is, don't cheat. 
I know right now you just think it's math, but then you start to cheat on finances, and then you start to cheat on your spouse, and then you, cheating will keep going. And you get these warnings in life. We've all gotten these warnings of good and evil and, and paying attention to it. But these lies sneak in, and the lie is this. Oh, you won't die right now. Well, you don't, you don't have to worry about death right now. You're not going to feel that. And that lie sneaks in. And ultimately, that lie is this. You don't need God. I mean, you could deal with him when you're older or something like that. Maybe when you're starting to die and you're on your deathbed and then you're like, Jesus, I've been bad. Yeah, save that for there. Now you should party. Like this, you won't die now. It's not that big a deal. You're young. And so we believe this lie. And we let this lie start to come into our hearts. And the one thing that I want you to hear tonight is lies always, always, always destroy. And I think there's some argument to be had that at the root of all sin, you're believing a lie or you're telling a lie. You're either believing the lie that what you're doing doesn't matter or you're telling the lie that I'll get away with this or you're telling the lie that I shouldn't be guilty for this. There's lies at the root of all of this. And the biggest lie of all is you don't need God. You're not going to die right now. So let's say you buy into this lie. Let's say you buy into the lie that it's no big deal. We'll just have sex before we're married. I'm not even thinking about marriage. I'm going to just give this person a piece of me and it'll be fine. And I've heard on the internet that it brings people closer together. So, and I don't want to lose this person. I'm not married to him, but I don't want to lose him. <clears throat> and so you do that. And you say, well, all my friends are doing that and, and they're still breathing. Like, and they said it was good. You're not going to die right now. Or maybe, or maybe, <clears throat> you, you, you're looking at porn, and you hear, okay, don't look at porn, it's going to warp your brain, you're going to objectify women or men, and you're going to have this huge, like, upside-down thing where you objectify and abuse them mentally in your mind. Or it could be someone's innocent daughter, it is someone's daughter, first of all, but then also there's a possibility that that human that you're staring at on your screen is a victim of sex trafficking, and they got drugged into that moment and they're innocent, and they can't escape, and you're looking at that on your screen. But you think, I don't know them. I'm not going to die right now. Plus, all my friends are looking at porn, so it's not that big a deal. Or maybe, or maybe you believe the lie. Maybe you believe the lie that, uh, I can cheat. I can get away with some stuff. Like, it's just math, whatever. It's just English. I, I copy his paper. It's no big deal. And we believe the lie, but then that copies over and, that, and that, that goes over to the rest of the life. Or we believe the lie, we believe the lie, that in order to get out of being bullied, you've got to become the bully. Because here's the lie you believe. The bullies are all sitting on the top of the food chain. And i got to get to the top of the food chain so I don't get eaten alive in this school. And start to, So you start to trash all your relationships and no one wants to be around you. But you might be looking at your social situation and you would say, I'm not dead, I'm still breathing. I mean, all, the, all this death that's supposed to come to my way, life, life's pretty good. But something inside of you does die. Even though you're still breathing, your innocence dies. And even though you might still be breathing, your character dies. Who you are, what you stand for is dead 
or it's crumbling underneath you. Or something else inside you dies, and that's your trustworthiness. And you're the same person that's saying to your parent, why don't you trust me? Why don't you trust me? You never trust me. It's because you're not trustworthy. You have not gained any trust. You are not worthy of any trust. Something has died inside of you. You won't die right now. You still breathe in. So we bite the lie. And we take the lie. And I want you to notice in that last verse that we read that Eve takes a bite and she hands it to a friend. How often when we know we are partaking in evil, do we hand that to a friend? Hey, come out to my car. I got two jewels. Hey, check out this picture she just sent me. And you drag someone in. Or you got some hot gossip and you start sharing with someone else. And I think there's like some piece of us that believes a lie that like we're doing this so that we're not alone. You're a liar. Because here's what's really happening in your heart. You want to validate the evil that you're welcoming in. You want to validate it. Say, I'm not the only one. But then also, even more sick than that, you're looking for someone to betray. Because when the call comes and you get asked, did you do this? The first thing you get to do is go, it was her. It was him. And you're setting that person up that you handed the fruit to just to betray them and stab them in the back. Just noteworthy on that. So we believe the lie. We take the bite. And then you see what happens. And the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. In the first moment of their lives, they feel ashamed. They feel guilty and they feel dirty. And maybe you're sitting here tonight and that's how you feel. Or maybe you're familiar with that feeling. That after you bit the lie and you did these things that you were warned about, you feel the shame. And you're living in that shame. And there's nothing you can do to take that back. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking through the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord. God among the trees of, of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree and I ate it. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what does this have you done? What have you done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. They ran and hid. And here's the destruction. Lies lead to dumb decisions that lead to destruction and disaster because you see the consequences for their actions and they ran and hid that's so interesting like that's our first thing when we when we embark in biting into the lie is we run and hide and then we lie about it and then we make it worse and we make it worse and then we lie on top of that lie and we're afraid we're both afraid of man and god 
our parents, our guardian, whatever, and we try to hide. And our innocence is gone, so we feel all the shame in the world. It's as if, it's as if you see these lies, these things that you've been warned about, and you buy the half-truth that you won't die right now, and you don't care about later, and so you reach for it. And then all of a sudden, you're covered in shame. And what's the first thing we do when we're covered in shame? We try to hide it. We say, no, it's, it's fine. There's nothing here. We try to hide. And we, and we say, no, 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 I, I didn't do that. I didn't, I didn't do that. But by lying, we dip our hand back in. And then we say, I, I, no, I didn't do that. Someone looks you right in the eye and says, did you do that? You go, no, I didn't do that. That's, that's not what I did. That's not what I did. And you try to hide and you try to hide. And you keep dipping your hands in. And then all of a sudden you look up one day. And you are stained. And you hide. And you lie. And you try to hide some more. And then you look at yourself in the mirror and you say, how am I ever going to get out of this? And here comes the destruction. It's that every relationship that you have is now busted. Because something inside of you has died. Your relationship with people is busted because you're hiding. And you're playing pretend. And you're pretending like God isn't real, like he can't see any of this. And so you lie some more to yourself. And you try to hide it and you try to wipe it away. It just makes it worse and worse and worse. What about your relationship with God? He can't be near sin. He is holy. All of a sudden, you're cast from his presence, and you believe the lie in this moment, I don't need him anyways. Because what happened in the garden, I'm just going to sum it up. He looks at the serpent, and he says, you are cursed because of what you chose. He didn't say, I now curse you. He says, you chose this curse. And he looks at the woman and says, not, I curse you. He says, you have chosen the curse. And he looks at the man and he doesn't say, I curse you. He says, you, because of what you have chosen, have a curse. Who is ever going to get us out of this? And how are we ever going to get out? There has got to be a savior. There has got to be something. There's this crazy story at the beginning of the Bible. We have Adam and Eve, and they're in the Garden of Eden. And everything in this garden is great. It's exactly as it should be, except there's this one tree that they're told by God not to eat from because it's dangerous and it will kill them. So that's it. Uh, avoid this fruit tree and we're fine. Right. It seems pretty simple. But in this garden, there's a snake. And it starts telling a different story. It says that if you eat of this tree, it's not going to kill you. In fact, it's going to make you become like God. And Adam and Eve, they believe the snake and they eat the fruit. And because of this, the goodness of the garden is tragically lost and evil and death enters into God's good world. Now, 
why is there a talking snake in the garden? I mean, this thing is a problem. Yeah, it's very strange. And even more strange is the fact that the Bible doesn't say why or how this thing even got there. It just presents the snake as this creature who's in rebellion against God and that wants to get other people to doubt God's goodness and lead them on a path towards death. And so whatever this snake is, it's the source of evil that pervades our world and our lives, even still today. But there is some hope because right here in the story, God makes this really interesting promise to Adam and Eve. That someone is going to come in the future, a son of Eve. And this guy's going to come and he's going to crush the serpent's head and destroy evil at its source. However, during this battle, the serpent is going to bite this guy's heel. So it's like a mutual destruction. Yeah, it's this very strange but beautiful promise. And it's just left hanging there until the next key moment in the story, when God singles out this guy named Abraham and says that through his family, goodness and blessing is going to be restored back to all of the nations of the world. And as we follow this family, we get to one of Abraham's great grandsons, this guy named Judah. And he receives this promise that a king is going to come from his line and that the whole world's going to follow this king and he's going to bring peace and harmony and there'll be lots of food and wine and milk and vineyards and it's going to be awesome. The first king that we meet from the line of Judah is a guy named King David. And he's a hero. Maybe he is the snake crusher. But it turns out that David is infected with the same evil as the rest of humanity. He never crushes the snake, just the opposite. However, God makes a promise to David that this king is going to eventually come from his line. But as you go on in the story, one by one, each generation of his sons, they're just total chumps. They give in to the snake, they choose evil, they go after money and sex and power and following other gods. Things get so bad that they run the nation of Israel right into the ground and the big bad empire of Babylon just takes them out. And so now there are no more kings to even fulfill this promise. So it seems like the whole plan is lost. But during these dark days, there's this crazy group of guys called prophets. And they just kept talking about this coming king and reminding us of the promise that he'll come, he'll defeat evil, he'll restore the garden. Now, one specific prophet, Isaiah, he tells us more about why this king is bitten. Isaiah says that the promised king receives this wound because of humanity's evil, and that it kills him. But then all of a sudden he comes back, and Isaiah says it's because he suffered this wound that he can now become a source of healing to other people. But the Old Testament ends, and the snake-crushing king that everyone's been talking about never shows up. And this is why, when the New Testament begins, it introduces us to Jesus of Nazareth, not as some random guy, but as someone who comes to fulfill these specific ancient promises. Yeah, we learn that he's from the line of David, Judah, and Abraham. And he goes around Israel announcing that the goodness of God's kingdom is here, now. And he begins confronting the effects of evil on people by healing them, by forgiving them of their sins and evil. Many people are now believing that this is, in fact, the promised king. But Jesus began telling his closest followers that he was going to become king and bring peace by taking the full effect of humanity's evil into himself. The fatal snake bite wound. Exactly. And so it seems like the serpent wins. And this story actually would be a tragedy, except for what happens next. Jesus rises from the dead. And now Jesus has the power over evil and death for himself. And so the rest of the New Testament is then making this claim. 
that Jesus' power over evil and death has now become available to us to begin confronting the effects of evil in our lives. But even still, death and evil are a real problem in our world all around us. And so the story of the Bible ends by describing this future day when Jesus comes back and he finishes the job. He destroys the snake once and for all and he restores the goodness of the garden here on earth. As long as you did what you felt like doing, ignoring God, you didn't have to bother with right thinking or right living, or right anything for that matter. But you call that a free life? What did you get out of it? Nothing you're proud of now. Where did it get you? A dead end. But now that you've found you don't have to listen to sin tell you what to do, and have discovered the delight of listening to God telling you, what a surprise. A whole, healed, put together life right now with more and more of life on the way. Work hard for sin your whole life and your pension is death. But God's gift is real life, eternal life, delivered by Jesus, our master. For this is how God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but the people loved darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it, for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light, so others can see they are doing what God wants. Come, sit down, let's argue this out. This is God's message. If your sins are blood red, they'll be snow white. If they're red like crimson, they will be like wool. If you'll willingly obey, you'll feast like kings. But if you're willful and stubborn, you'll die like dogs. That's right. God says so. My life was washed clean because of Jesus Christ. And I was a stained human being. I was stained from head to toe. And I walked into this church and I got to know some people who loved me for who I was. And then I got to the point where I decided to be baptized, but I thought I have not enough faith to do this. I don't know enough about the Bible. I told Josh, I don't think it's my time. But Josh said, you don't have to know it all to believe. You don't have to have all the answers to start following Jesus. You've just gotta want those stains removed bad enough. You've just gotta look towards the love of God long enough and hard enough to see how much you're loved. And Josh Sykes baptized me in that tub on a Thursday night. And I told him my back needs to hit the bottom 
because of how badly my life needs to be washed. And he didn't. And ever since, I've not been perfect, nor will I ever be perfect. I fall short all the time, but guess what? I have a Savior who washes me clean. I have a Savior who takes my stains and makes them white as snow. I have a Savior who takes my scariest stains, the ones I'm the most afraid of, and he dissolves them in front of my eyes just like he's willing to dissolve them in front of your eyes. And he did it by taking the price that you owed and paying it on the cross. The death that you deserve to die, that I deserve to die. And he did it and he rose from the dead to show he has power over everything living and everything on this planet and everything into eternity. Do you want your stains dissolved? Do you want them gone for good? Do you want a life of knowing that no matter how bad you mess up, that there's a God that loves you, that is willing to wash your stains free of charge if you would unite your life with his by saying that I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and that he sacrificed himself for my sins and being obedient and walking in faith with him. Do you want that bad enough? I don't know. I don't know if you do. I will tell you on the other side, it has completely changed my life. And I was a busted, lost human being that didn't see a reason to be here. But now, no matter how tough my life is, and I've had a tough year, I can look to Jesus and say it's worth it. It's worth it not only for me to feel this love, but it's so worth it to be here on Wednesday nights and tell you about it. I want you to close your eyes. I don't want you to say a word because you have no idea what kind of hell on earth the person next to you is going through. So don't you dare disrespect them. And I want you to think about the stain that you've been trying to hide. The scariest one, the biggest one, the one that you haven't told anybody. And I want you to be honest with yourself for maybe the first time. What is that stain? He'll wash all of them away. Thinking about one of them is a good place to start. What's the lie you bit into? What's the death that you've had to live with? What's the death that Jesus could bring back to life in you? Because I'm not perfect, but I stand before you tonight an innocent man in the eyes of God because of what Jesus did for me. What is it, that stain that you're afraid of? I want you to think about that just for a few moments. Don't you dare say a word because you have no idea what the person next to you is going through. Are you hurting? Are you broken? Are you overwhelmed by your stains? 
Are you at the end of yourself, desperate to be washed clean? I was too. Are you desperate for your stains to be dissolved in front of your eyes? I was too. Jesus was calling my name and I dropped everything and I ran to him. Jesus is calling your name too. Thanks for joining Element. To find out more, go to thirdcitychristian.org backslash students.